What the hell's the name of this thing? The Ballsy Podcast. Hosted by the award-winning Evan Grant. Before I come across the table and rip Barry's throat out. Kevin Sherrington. I'm going to say to you what you said to me a while ago. Shut up. Barry Horn. I'm going to bring milk and cookies next week. Get ready for the most listened to sports podcast in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Evan Grant, and this is Ballsy. I'm Kevin Sherrington, and in this episode, we'll be talking about the Rangers. And I'm Barry Horn. To hear our other exciting additions, simply subscribe to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. You know we're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search Ballsy Podcast. That's Ballsy with a Z. So sit back, relax, that's relax with an X, and enjoy another edition of the Rangers Ballsy with a Z Podcast. Guys, we are joined by, really, one of our close friends in the business, and... Maybe our only close friend in the business. And an occasional co-host for when Kevin forgets that there's a podcast. I was just lucky I remembered this week. He's not a really a guest, is he? No, Richard Justice of MLB.com. It's like your mother-in-law when she comes to visit. He is. He doesn't know when to leave. Speaking <laughs> Rich- of which, you haven't done your mother in a long time on the podcast. Have your, have your mother introduce Richard. It was a bad week for my mom. She had, oh, she had to have a couple no. of teeth removed. It's, it's, oh, it sucks no. getting old. It really does. It really, really does. Let me, wait, Kevin, fun. does it suck getting old? Oh, I believe you are a whole year older than me. You yeah. know, wh- who we should really ask, we should ask Richard. Richard, how does, how does it feel getting old? I turned 64 last week. He is the oldest uh, guy on the podcast. 64. 64 Richard. is the new 44. Wow, Richard, you are really holding your age well, too. Yeah, I am. You do, you do, you do hold your age well, and you're young at heart. That's what we like about you. He's, you know, he's chewing his costume. I'm sorry. Were you saying something? <laughs> he turned off his hearing aid. I don't oh. hear like I used to. Speak up, son. <laughs> what are you eating on our podcast? Uh, I'm not eating anything, but I. Uh, uh, I would like to. Eat if, how about a gift package from JD's Chippery? How's that for a commercial placement? Okay, well, thank you for that. You know, that's, that's my oldest daughter's favorite, favorite place to go for cookies, J.D.'s Chippery. I never even heard of it. It's over in Snyder Plaza right, right. SMU. Right next to Peggy Sue's, buddy. Yes, it yes, is. It is. Yes, it is. And Cotton Island, where I buy many Christmas presents for the stepdaughter, who wow. made, subjected me to 15 minutes of The Bachelor last night. Oh, no. You can't You can't be doing that. No, I, I stabbed out my eyes. <laughs> um, oh, so, Richard, tomorrow, we're, we're recording this on Tuesday, but, you know, people will be all over this podcast today because you're here. Yes, um, right. And uh, uh, tomorrow is the big Hall of Fame announcement. Uh, it, it appears that one of the uh, great players in Houston Astros history, Jeff Bagwell, will finally get into the Hall. And it appears that Tim Raines uh, also will get into the Hall. What is very, very much up for debate right now is whether Yvonne Rodriguez – uh, perhaps the greatest player ever to be developed by the Texas Rangers will make the Hall of Fame on his first ballot. Uh, what do you feel like is holding up the? Do you feel you voted for for Pudge? Correct. You voted for Pudge on his first ballot this year. Right. I don't know how you couldn't. Uh, who's the greatest catcher of all time? Johnny Bench. Who's the second greatest catcher of all time? Probably Gary Carter. Pudge is, Pudge is in that conversation. Pudge and uh, Carlton Fisk and, you know, I, I don't know, how, Bill Dickey, somebody like that. But, I mean, he's the gold standard for catchers. And the only reason would be, hey, I think he used steroids, you know, this, this guessing game uh, about performance-enhancing drugs. 
but there is no legitimate reason not to vote for him. And I think Piazza, who got in, there was, you know, and Piazza couldn't, was not in Pudge's, as you guys know, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, was not in Pudge's class in terms of defense. Um, you know what I remember? I think he was 18 years old. He broke in at 19, right? Yes. Yeah. I remember, like, when he was 18, Tom Grieve, who had signed him, uh, or his Sandy Johnson, his guys had signed him, was telling me about this guy. And you think, yeah, yeah, I've heard it all. You know, it's always the next great thing. And he was the next great thing. And he was the next great thing. He was the next oh, great he, thing. He was unbelievable. I mean, his arm was. It, like, he was one of those guys that you would, if you were a baseball fan, you wanted to come just to watch him throw, to make that throw back to first base behind the guy. He was unbelievable. That is the thing. And, you know, th- there's so many people who talk about, you know, guys being iconic type players or guys that you would take your, your kid to see, that that's part of their subjective value and how they vote for a Hall of Famer. And there is an entire generation of people who grew up in this market who took their kids to see Pudge Rodriguez behind the plate? You know, um, my sister is one of those people, and was a, was a season ticket. And Pudge was always her favorite player. Every playoff game, they wore Pudge stuff. I, I'm not, and uh, I mean, he was. I don't know, and I think people had the sense that he was a good guy, that that people liked him. I know, certainly know by the time he got, you know, the little time he spent with the Astros. There was a night he broke some record, and they had a the players, not the manager, not the front office. The players had a ceremony for him there in in Arlington, and it was very emotional. And you could tell there was genuine affection for the guy. But how many times did Pudge make the All Star team? Like fifteen times. I mean, that's that to me is almost the definition of a Hall of Famer. He was an MVP. He was gold, won the Gold Glove, the Silver Slugger every year. Any measuring stick you have for a Hall of Famer, Pudge blows past the bar. To me, the only question about Pudge has always been because of all the things you just said, and, and I remember one one time we uh, maybe it was on the podcast last week. Someone said, "Well, there that that didn't happen." Then you say there was somebody who said there was no wow factor with Pudge. There, there was a there's a voter in in Boston who and, and wrote a column on this that that he was not one of those guys that he'd take his grandson to see, and that you know he that he used Fisk and Bench as as his landmarks and his benchmarks, and that. You know, when he'd be at an event, people would say, oh, there's Johnny Bench or there's Carlton Fisk. But uh, when Pudge was around in 2013 during the World Series uh, as a I think he was working some some Spanish TV at that point in time, there was no, oh, there's Pudge Rodriguez. Well, I mean, what do you want a guy to do, do card tricks? I mean, to me, you've got to be able to, One of the things we're having a debate about, and Evan, you were part of it, is making our ballots public. But if you're going to make your ballots public, <clears throat> you ought to be able to at least – defended on something quantifiable. Tell me how many times he made the All-Star team. Tell me how many times right. he won a gold glove. Tell me where he ranks among players of his generation, players of his position. To say, you know, like, I, I don't know what, what makes it exciting. You know, did, did, Car- did Cal Ripken have a wow factor with him? Did, did Carlton Fisk? Carlton Fisk prided himself on working harder than anybody and showing up and going to work. I mean, well, let, well, let me ask you this question. Does the fact that he was from Puerto Rico have anything to do with it? Well, I think that's always a factor, and I think that's a factor in coverage in that for those of us who are, are not bilingual, sometimes it's hard to communicate. It's uncomfortable for players to communicate. That, that's a fact of life. But I would hope that anybody who watched Carlton Fisk, I mean, <laughs> Carlton Fisk, watched Yvonne Rodriguez play baseball, or said to anybody who played with Yvonne Rodriguez, hey, was that guy pretty good? 
You know, that's one of the reasons I started voting for Tim Raines. Other players were coming up saying, uh, you're missing it on this guy, okay? Right. Let me just say, you're missing it on this guy. If you don't vote for Pudge, I don't know what your standard is. I always wanted to say to the guys who didn't vote for Seaver or, you know, name it. Like, uh, like, I don't know what your bar, where you set your bar, but you might want to reconsider it. You know, the, the, the one thing about me, and we asked Billy Ripken this question last week about Pudge, and I said, what did you think of him as a, as a receiver? You know, uh, not, let's take away the, the hitting. He's a good hitter. Let's take away the arm, which is unbelievable, unparalleled and, uh, among all catchers. I don't think there was ever a catcher who had a better arm than uh, Pudge Rodriguez. And I think, I think Johnny Bench would acknowledge that. Yes, I think he would, too. And uh, but the and, and, and Ripken said, well, you know, there was the there was a feeling early in his career uh, that uh, he would call a lot of, a, you know, a right hand hitter, call a lot of fastball on the outside corner of the plate. So he'd get a better get a chance to get off a better throw. Uh, did maybe, and he didn't say this, but what we heard over the years, too, is that he didn't really work with pitchers a lot. And these are important things for a catcher. Right. These are these are things we really expect a catcher to do. That's it, why it's such an important position, because it's not just. Hitting and receiving, it's it's you know, and he was a good, and he blocked balls in the dirt, did that very well, but to but to counter all that, uh, every every catcher ha- has his flaws. Certainly, Piazza was no kind of catcher. Right. He was just a hitter. He was a hitter who yeah. they had nowhere but else to play. Also, you can't, yeah. you can't get into that stuff. Yeah, you can Nobody can expect it, be expected to know that kind of inside information. Like I know all the stuff about what Bagwell was as a leader. I know all the things that he did. I know stuff Clemens did for people that was amazing inside that clubhouse, but but people are not going to know that. So you got to you got to look at a ballot on what you can measure. You're never going to know everything. You're never going to know how many times Babe Ruth showed up drunk, you know, or anything like that. And, and so I like to, to use that as a, a reason not to vote for him. That to me is screwy because there are areas we can't know. But, but if you're not going to vote for him, you have to have rationalizations. All right, this, and, well, and, well, the only rationalization on Pudge, the only one is, hey, I think he used steroids. Look. I'm going to play this guessing game with steroids, and then therefore I'm not going to vote for him. In terms of play on the field, when he got between the white lines, they're having, he's one of the five best catchers ever. All right, this is where we get to a point here. There are, uh, in the ballots that have been made public to this point, and there have been about 50, there's, about 51% of the ballots have been made public. How many voters are there, Evan? There's approximately 435 ballots that will be mailed, uh, and that changes, you know, by a couple each year. Uh, and and we've, we've received 224 votes made public, uh, according to Ryan Thibodeau. It does a great job online at Not Mr. Tibbs on, on um, Twitter of, of tracking the votes. There are 23 voters who voted for Mike Piazza last year, who did not vote for Pudge this year, to this point, okay? That is going to be the deciding factor on whether Pudge Rodriguez makes the Hall of Fame in his first ballot or whether he doesn't. If there's a few more of those in the ballots that are released later on, he's going to fall short. Right now the projections have him at 74% of the final vote. And how many do you need? You need 75%. If we get 435 ballots returned, 75% is 327 votes. 74%, and you don't round up in this in this business, 74% is 322. So we're talking about a guy who could miss the Hall of Fame by five votes. This is the evidence that people cite on Pudge and steroids. One, he was named in Jose Canseco's book, Juiced, as having been a guy that Jose 
injected with steroids. Two, guys saw a big Pudge Rodriguez become a small Pudge Rodriguez between 2004 and when testing slash suspensions came into uh, effect in 2005. And three, that when Pudge was asked if he ever used steroids, he had a poor answer, which was only God knows. Okay? Richard, what... First of all, what is your perspective on the steroid guys? Because you have voted for both Bonds and Clemens, but did not vote for a guy like a Manny Ramirez uh, or a Sammy Sosa. Well, I, I look at the ballot and see probably 15, 14 or 15 or 16 guys is deserving of all the Hall of Fame. I think this generation of players is, and the numbers bear this up, vastly underrepresented in the Hall of Fame, especially starting pitchers. Uh, you know, in the 80, what is it, 80-something years, 83 votes, the BBWA has only put in 121 players right. of the 314 people now in the Hall of Fame. My point is that you can't look at a ballot now and tell me who used steroids and who didn't. Now, if you're going to just say, okay, I think this guy used steroids, then you're, what you're going to do is you're going to play a guessing game, or you're going to punish the guys who happened to get caught, had a book written about them, got caught up in a legal case, anything like that, and you're going to reward the guys that get away with it. It gets To me, it gets way too complicated and I just vote for the best players. And also, in the in the case of Bonds and back, uh, Bonds and um, Clemens, they were Bonds was a slam dunk Hall of Famer before he got big, and Clemens was pretty much right there. They both, I think, would have ended up in the Hall of Fame if their careers had ended after '99, and in Clemens' case, after he left Boston. The uh, the thing I would I would say here also is, you know, people, Kevin, you've stopped voting. Right? That's correct. Okay. And your reason, you've stated this before on, on the show. Why exactly do you not vote now? I believe that it's become too political, and I, I do believe that uh, I, I have a— Too political in regards to de- determining the steroid guys versus the non-steroid guys, or what's the, what's the political Yeah, there's a lot, that's part of it, and, and, and a lot of it is, is I, first of all, I don't like us being the, the news. Mm-hmm. You know, I, that's not our job, to be the news. And we, and, we, and we become the news because of all this, and I, and I have a big problem with that. And I have a big problem— Thing, first of all, there's too many of us voting. There, you know, four, four, over 400 voters is ridiculous. You know, in the, in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, they have how many voters? 41. They have, a, they have a committee in a room, like probably 40 guys. I think it's 40. I yeah. thought it was under 40. I, I thought it was, it was like 37 or something. Yeah, it's, it's very, and, and that's actually grown and, some. And, and, I, and I agree with you, Kevin. I think that we could yep. do a better job if we had a panel, a, a distinguished panel. But it'd have to be, you know, at the end of the day, it'd be – you wouldn't agree with all their decisions either. No, no, you wouldn't. And, and, and not, but we had another blank ballot in, turned in yesterday. Somebody told me this. You know your boy Bagwell, your boy Pudge, Trevor Hoffman, whoever. you got to get three votes now to overcome that one. Right. So we've had two blank ballots turned in. Oh, was there and another blank he, ballot yesterday? I believe Bill Livingston put turned in a blank ballot. Okay. I believe that's right. From Cleveland and Philadelphia. Yeah. And used to work here in Dallas. You know, the, my, but my problem with all of this is is that, uh, you know, it, it's we have guys like Barry Bonds, and I agree with you 100% about him. You know, before he before his head grew three sizes and, and before he got to be a big guy, he was what? A, a, was a three-time MVP even before that, right? Yeah, in top, top five, seven times. Yeah, so, so he was a Hall of Famer. So I, I'm going to put him in, even though I'm sure that he used HGH, okay? These are the symptoms of that, and that's what happened to him. That just doesn't happen, and that's a that's a. But he is certainly an anomaly. Let's take the case of Rafael Palmero. Had he not tested positive, no one would ever have guessed that he'd used anything. Correct. Looking at him, so that it, it, it goes to your point. It skews an entire generation here, and I have a really difficult time 
when, to have people say, well, I think this guy used this. And so let's put ourselves in that guy's shoes. Let's say you didn't use anything, but people have suspected you of that. And you've, and you've put up this, these numbers and you put up this career and you've done everything right. And then people just say, you know what? Eh, I don't think I, I think that you cheated. So therefore, I'm not voting for you. I, I just well, think that's, the, a, I mean, the, that's a crime. On, on Palmero, I mean, you do have the test, the positive test. No, no, I'm not saying him, him right. in ticket. I'm talking about well, other guys. Uh, Bagwell said to me, Bagwell said to me, are, are, you, are you saying that anyone of my generation who did great things on the field are going to be under the cloud of suspicion? And I said, yes. And then one of the reasons is the owners tried to get testing in 94, 95. Um, they would have destroyed the game if it had come to that. You know, they, they, they had to get back on the field. You guys fought testing every step of the way. Finally, in 2000, there's a famous scene in 2002 where Peter Angelo screams at Gene Orr's of the Players Union, if you guys want to strike over steroid testing, go out that door because this time we're not, we're not, we're not going to look the other way. We're not going to, you guys are not going to squeeze us into getting back on the field. Richard, Richard, what, one of my biases is against voters is their bias based on if a guy played in a major market, if they played in New Geographical York. Geographical bias. Yeah. If, the, if, if a guy played, would we be having this conversation had Pudge played his career with the Yankees? A significant well, amount Piazza, of Well, you know, Piazza had to wait, a, what did he have to wait, two years, three? Three, I think. I think he was on his fourth yeah. ballot. So, so, you know, Pudge had, there was, yeah, I agree with you, there's a, there's a market bias. You know, there are people that don't know that the guy, the center fielder for the Los Angeles Angels already has Hall of Fame numbers. Right. Because he plays on the West Coast, he's he's 25 years old, and his career WAR is higher than Jim Rice. If he has 800 more games like his last 800, he's going to be 30 years old and arguably one of the five greatest players of all time already. But so there is, I think. But I think you're always going to have a little bit of that. The I want to go back to this point about 23 voters who who voted for Piazza last year and didn't vote for Pudge this year. Um, one of those. And the most prominent, I think, of that group is Tom Verducci from Sports Illustrated, MLB Network, and Fox. And, and, and Tom wrote a column on SI.com detailing why he votes, how he votes for guys. Um, and one of the things he brought up was the steroid suspicion. And he, he talked about a preponderance of evidence, and he talked about that evidence can't be suspicion or the eye test. It's got to be something credible. So I asked him, and he didn't mention Pudge in this. So I, I emailed Tom last night, and I, I, I asked him if he could clarify his position just a little bit. And I wanted to give you guys his answer. Um, he said, I consider all evidence regarding players. If, as in a civil trial, the preponderance of evidence indicates a player used steroids or PEDs, I will not vote for the player. Such evidence does not include suspicion or rumors, but must be public and sourced. Similar standards that would apply to writing about players and PED usage. In that regard, Mike Piazza and Yvonne Rodriguez are dissimilar. The theory there being that nowhere was there anybody on the record saying Mike Piazza used steroids. So in his, in, in, in Tom, and, and I, I asked him to clarify this again this morning, in his perspective, the allegation in the Canseco book, the matter of public record now, is sourced and in his view credible, that Pudge, that Pudge used steroids, and that is why he does not vote for him uh, or will not vote for him. I find that to be a really slippery slope that we're going down because, first of all, Jose Canseco, now Jose Canseco has actually had a pretty good track record here with, what, with, the, with the allegations he's made. 
But let's also face facts. Jose Canseco likes being in the, in, in the spotlight, and he likes making money. And what's to keep another player at some point in time post his career from just throwing a bunch of names out there and that impacting whether or not these players go to the Hall of Fame with or without real solid evidence about whether or not they use the, the, the PEDs. He should not have well, brought, brought the, the term up civil trial. When you, if, you're going to, if civil trial is going to be one of, your, one of the benchmarks of what you're arguing here, there's not a player in the history of baseball who would have, had, who would have been thrown out of the Hall of Fame or thrown out of the voting for the Hall of Fame because of suspicions on steroids. You couldn't have taken any of this to a trial right. and convicted anybody of anything or found in the favor of anybody. But, but a civil trial, isn't that just a preponderance of evidence? It is a preponderance of evidence. It so. is, but what I'm saying is is that even a, there's not a preponderance of evidence here. You know, you got, you got, one, one, thing, you got one guy saying one thing. Right. That's not enough. There's no, there's no other teammate, no other, no other player, and this is a guy who played on several teams uh, making those allegations. And so I, I, I think, and, and this is not, Tom made a really strong case in his SI column He's he's one of the most eloquent voices on baseball in, in this in this era, but my point on all of this is we're all there's always going to be some kind of subjective line that you have to draw, and at some point, no matter how you define it, it's gonna there's going to be some thin evidence between one player and another, and it just puts you in a tough spot. My perspective, Richard, and I, I want to ask you this before we go move on to another topic. My perspective, the more I think about this, is is this. We as writers have said we want the Hall of Fame to give us guidelines. We want guidelines. We want guidelines. Well, here's the guideline. They're on the ballot. And if they're on the ballot, then by my book, I think at, at this point in time, they have to be considered eligible. And if, they, if they're considered eligible and considered qualified, then I, I think you have to look at the the suspensions and all this other stuff and simply say, they served their suspension. They did their time. Their record is entered into the book, and the Hall of Fame views them as eligible. I move more and more towards being more lenient with this now than than I was five years ago. I, I think I agree with everything you just said, and um, most people again, do. You know, wow. it gets very, very complicated over trying to figure out who did, who didn't, how much did they do, what were they before, it should the character clause like be be instituted in that case oh no you don't meet my standard of character uh, of uh, character I, I just it's what you said it's a slippery slope well I, I want one other thing too to me and we're talking about it we, we paint this group an entire generation in the steroids era so here, here's my question about that we know so real little about all of this and what they actually did let's take a guy like Andy Pettit who says he used steroids once right uh, wh- what if what if some of these guys used it once? Is there a difference between a guy using it once or twice and a guy who used it every month? You know, for for fifteen years. If, if what, yeah, I mean, what is the difference between one cycle and doing it annually before the season and during the season? Uh, you know, so is, is that is that a difference? Is it? it you know, and to me also, if if we suspect that how how many would you say if you were going to guess? And we're not going to vote on anything here, but if you were going to guess, how many players would you think used steroids in the nineties? Well, percentage. Ken Caminiti's allegation was that over half of baseball was on steroids. Yeah, I would, but I'll say this: so Bill James said to me, he said, "You know, you got a lot of variables in this." He goes, "Are there? Is it? Is it a slam dunk that some players use steroids? Absolutely." But he said that was an error also when uh, the ballparks got smaller, the strike zone was the size of a postage stamp, 
some would say the baseballs and the bats got harder and all of that. He said, so while, yes, some players clearly use steroids and admit that they use steroids, uh, there are a lot of factors. And the other part of You also had, Richard, you also had the dilution of talent by four teams right. coming into the, into the game in the 1990s, which really brought the quality of pitching down, too. And, and players were racked by this. Like uh, Steve Finley and Luke Scott, both in different ways, said, Luke Scott said to me one time, he goes, so I show up at spring training, I've worked my butt off, the guy three lockers down has put on 20 pounds of muscle, makes, spring, makes the team, I get sent back to AAA, I know why he got sent back, you know why he sent back, and he knows we know, and yet he did it. And, and, how, and what if he's a guy that's got, he's out of options, he's got a wife and two kids, he's got a mortgage, and he sees steroids as a way to get one contract. Right. Like, you're putting guys in a pretty tough ethical and moral dilemma. And, and I'll say, let me just say this about Clemens. Like, people are not black and white. These are not, this is not Bonnie and Clyde. By the time Clemens got to Houston, he was an unbelievable teammate, ambassador for the game, competitor, threw the ball 91 miles an hour and all that. I this is all because guy. he went to UT. You're saying all of this because yeah, he went no, to UT. I, I saw that guy do little acts of kindness for people at the bottom of the food chain, the people who wash the uniforms, the lower-level PR staffers, the interns and all. And I, I, he would go on these minor league rehab things. and stay. I saw him one night he stayed over in Lexington, Kentucky, to talk to a guy about how you do a bullpen. So what I'm saying is anybody wants to tell me the guy is a, is a, is a criminal in, term, in, the, in the baseball vernacular, I wouldn't agree with that. All right, I want to move on to some baseball on the field here, Richard. Um, there's been some activity in the American League West over the last couple of days. Uh, Seattle, I believe, completed its 48th trade of the offseason, uh, and the Rangers have agreed with Tyson Ross on a one-year deal uh, that will should be finalized sometime this week. I think he's taking a physical either today or tomorrow, and, and that should then be finalized. Um I think one thing that will determine the American League West and always seems to determine playoff teams is the starting rotations. And uh, the Rangers have made two additions to their rotation. Houston's made one, uh, and Seattle has made two. I I wanted to get your thoughts on – we we can analyze these, break them down one by one, but who's who's the favorite based on on starting rotation right now? Well – that question is Garrett Richards healthy if Garrett Richards is healthy Anaheim is pretty good what can the Mariners expect out of Keen Felix and Iwakuma coming back what is Paxton going to be are the Rangers going to get a 30 starts out of Darvish what is Kashner and Ross going to be Houston might be the best team Houston's being picked as the favorite but their top two starters um finished the season hurt if Keuchel and McCullers are healthy you could make a case they would have made the playoffs last year so I think every one of these teams has, has a yes but. But the cool thing about it is, is if you're a fan, you can look at the four teams and, and make a case for any of the four teams. You can't make a case for Oakland, but certainly any other team you can. What, uh, what do you think in the end was the problem with Keiko last year? It was easy. He pitched 250 innings the year before, and right off the bat scouts were saying uh, he's down two miles an hour. He, his, uh, he felt the need to be perfect. When you, when you don't throw hard, you feel the need to be perfect, then you miss. The umpire doesn't give you a call. Some teams did a better job of laying off his stuff 
and it all snowballed, and then he and then he stressed out trying to overthrow. His shoulder got hurt, and it just went downhill. He said last week, he said, it's so weird being back out here and not hurting. He goes, it had been so long since I felt good, I didn't know what it was like to feel good again. So he's passed every test, but there's a, there's a reason they're breaking their necks trying to get Jose Quintana in in that in that they're not, you know, when you've had, when McCullers has been on the disabled list both these years in the big leagues, he's potential number one guy or, you know, number two guy. And but you don't know if he's going to be, how many times he's going to be able to go out there. Well, the, and the Astros, those had to have their doubts as well because they did not sign him, a Keuchel, to a contract. They, they gave him a one-year deal. Uh, well, no, they a year ago they tried to, and he turned it down. That's another factor, you know. You turn down money because you think you're going to get more money, and then you end up with an aching shoulder, and you got to pitch through it because look all that's on the line. They wanted to sign him. Uh, Back then was, they did, but not this winter. N- no, and you wonder, like, how much money did you turn down? Are you ever going to recover that? But... You know, if he's healthy, he'll 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 end up doing just fine in the marketplace. Well, who's got the best team on the field? The best the best team other than uh, the, the, the best the best lineup and, and well, Evan might have a different take. I think Houston does mm-hmm. with the addition of Brian McCann and Carlos Beltran. Uh, they're they're pretty they're pretty and Josh Reddick I forgot about him so they're they're pretty good. You could almost make the case so that they were the best team on the field last year. I mean I, I think the right. talent the talent base there is is I don't think there's any question it's the best team on the field. For me the question of the Astros has been last year and the year before is just the fact that too many young guys not enough veteran leadership uh, right. and I think they answered some of those questions this year with additions of people certainly like Carlos Beltran in particular McCann okay. and and Reddick as well. Richard, give us Richard, since we probably have about hundred or two hundred thousand Ranger fans listening, uh, give us your perspective on the Rangers. Um, are they, my 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 question is: Are they going to let Joey Gallo play with the big boys this year? No. Or um, my guess would be no to start the year. I, I, I still. Just, what if he goes? I think he's at the point in his career. And Evan, and I talked about this. He said, "What two thousand at bats in the minor leagues, right. five hundred or six hundred or something plate appearances at AAA." He's at the point in his career where now he needs to come to spring training and make the adjustments he needs to make and show them, okay, boys, whenever you need me, I'm ready. You know, we asked John Daniels this at the GM meetings, Evan, and he was still bullish, publicly at least, bullish on, on Joey Gallo, that he's still a prime talent. But he's, he's my biggest question. Other than that, you know, when you look at that infield, I mean, um, so they're going to get somebody else to play first base, right? If not Napoli, someone else. I, look, at this point in time, I think Napoli is all but a slam dunk. But even if it's not Napoli, it's going to be Napoli or Chris Carter or Mark Trumbo. They're going to add somebody that will give them the ability to not push Gallo before he's and, ready. And who is the who becomes the DH? That's Profar, Rua, all the that that mix of guys. It would be uh, it would most likely be Chu uh, with an outfield that goes uh, Mazzara in right, Gomez in center. And then you'd have some sort of platoon in left field, uh, perhaps uh, if Josh Hamilton is healthy, uh, Josh Hamilton from the left side and maybe Ryan Rua from the right. Uh, if Hamilton's not healthy, uh, the Rangers sign Travis Snyder. He would be a potential option. Uh, or they might, you know, th- there might be another minor league contract to add before, before uh, spring training. And, Evan, where would you rank their rotation in the AL West? Uh, look, I, I think they're top two, 
clearly are, are one and two. I think if Ross is healthy, um, I think he's a legitimate number three. And then you, you pitch Perez in the four spot, he becomes an asset rather than a question mark in the four spot. And, and, and I think everybody's fifth spot is going to be something of a question mark. So right. uh, if, if Tyson Ross is healthy and when he's healthy, I do think the Rangers have the, uh, on paper, the best front four in the division. Uh, but, look, there's questions there, too. Hamels finished the year poorly. Uh, will Ross be ready on April 15th? Will it be May 15th? Uh, how will Martin Perez react to jumping from 160 innings to 200 innings? So, yeah, everybody's got question marks. I, I do like – one thing I do like about Houston is, you know, you look beyond their front five and you've got Musgrove and potentially Davinsky and Peacock. I think that's good depth there. Um, L.A.'s got Tropiano and Heaney beyond their front five. The Rangers, I, I think when you get down to A.J. Griffin, Chichi Gonzalez – uh, Johander Mendez and Michael Housechild, you're still talking about guys who not only are not proven, but in, in some cases really haven't arrived at all. Well, what if you had to, if right now today you had to line up the four, the front four teams, how would you, what, how would you rank them? Uh, right now, I, I think I'd still have to take, I'd still have to take the Astros and put them first. I do have questions about the front end of their rotation. Uh, I, I still think the Rangers would be the second place team and a wild card team. And I go back to this, you know, you go back to what Oakland did a couple of years ago with all those crazy trades that Billy made and remade the whole roster. And, and my perspective at that point in time was you've got so many new faces, even if they're talented, it's going to take a while to gel. And I think the same thing is going to hold true for Seattle here. It's, it's fascinating what he's done in two off seasons. What is it? 20, Seven trades involving like 500 players or something. Yes, I think it's five. I, I think Smiley and uh, Malik Smith, and and then they sent Malik Smith to, to Tampa Bay. I think it's at 502. 500 players dealt. Yes. Yeah. Holy cow! Players. Yeah, he had them all on the roster at one point. That's right. It, it, yeah, and you you really you you guys believe it's actually 500 that there was no hyperbole involved there. <laughs> They're in so how many, gullible. In how many seasons? So he's gullible. A, he's making that up. It was two off-seasons. Two off-seasons. But I think it is but 20. I think it is 26 trades. It's over 20 trades. It's, it's crazy. They're, it's a crazy. messing number. with us, Barry. You know, actually what had happened was I had nodded we're, off we're, well, while we're, y'all were talking. We're and, just, and I heard we're, 500 we're, players. We're, we're just off the farm. <laughs> and then that's what happened. We just, Kev, got off, we just got off the bus. Kevin was asleep. I'll believe anything when I first wake up. We, 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 we just got off the bus from Hooterville. Yeah. Uh, well, here's here's the thing about the about Seattle. I believe in Seattle when they actually win something. You know, every year everybody talks about Seattle. Oh my gosh, look what they did over over the winter, and this team is ready to ready to do it. Well, and, when you've and got they team, never do. when you've got Felix at the top of your rotation, I think there's always going to be that presumption that you've got a strong rotation. But I think that we what we're seeing in Felix now, and he's still a great pitcher, but he's he's over he's over the top of the hill now. I, I think he and he's going down that the other is side. And and, and yeah, I, Kuma and Felix are both are both older guys now, and they both at times last year looked tired. Yeah, so I, I just think that you know there's no I like some of the things they do. President they're they're more included. Yeah, that's right. They're athletic and they and they can do more things. Uh, you know, but I, I just you know I I I think they 
I, every year I, I see the same thing from the Mariners. So uh, I, I, I could, they could certainly come through this year and, and be big time. I could certainly see the Rangers falling back, you know, because of the one run wins last year. The anomaly, maybe that's an anomaly. Maybe they return to the pack because of that. I don't think they're as good on paper uh, oh. on on the field as they were last year. But haven't we le- haven't we learned something that it doesn't really matter where? I mean, you have to get into the playoffs. Yeah, get into the postseason, sure. but it doesn't really matter how you get there as long as you're there, and right. you don't you don't have to win the AL West. No, to, you don't to, 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 to move on. No, it's no. it's not necessarily a given that no, you move on. We're not it, writing off the Rangers. No. No, 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 no. But what I'm saying is, if if you could, well, you you don't need to win the, the AL West. No, to have to I was just saying that, that that last year for them to have the best record in the American League, you know, the number one seed, and then to get eliminated by Toronto in three games, bang, 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 you know, that's about as bad as it gets. So, is it worse that or the Cowboys uh, going Well, on? I think that's a, that's a good comparison. I, I, I do think that the, that Rangers – I thought all along when you watch the Cowboys that, that, that they're carrying that defense. That's a voodoo defense, as, as we used to say. Hey, the, here's a question I have for you, for you, Richard, talking about the Astros and the talent on the field. You know, MLB Network Radio the other day had a, had a conversation on the Casey Stern Show um, with uh, uh, talking about the top five players in the game today. Um and nobody, you know, the names like Trout and Machado, uh, uh, Altuve was mentioned in there, um, Nolan Arenado was mentioned in there. Nowhere in the top five was Carlos Correa mentioned. And my personal gut instinct tells me this is the year that Carlos Correa firmly establishes himself as a superstar. Do I you think see he that? Feels that way? Yeah, I think he feels that way. But was Francisco Lindor mentioned in that conversation? Uh, no, he was not. Uh, Chris Bryant was mentioned in that conversation. Okay. Um, yeah, but I, I think it's a great point because I was thinking the same thing that you you see very little about Correa now, and I didn't he had have, a little bit of a down year last did. year in his not, second year. Not a great year, but you know you have to expect that too, right? Absolutely, guy. Second year team's making adjustments to you. You got to make it's just not a fashionable name anymore, is what it not, is. Not was it? I mean, people were saying this is the next A Rod, right? You know, no, I remember, yeah. And now there, and now there were. I, I heard people say at the end of the rookie year that well maybe Lindor's better, right? And that, but I think last year people felt oh, there's no question Lindor's better. So what, what do well, you gather from Correa in that? Yes. yes, yes, he was. I think, I think, and I actually think Casey had Altuve as his number two player in all of baseball. Um, wow. But I, I guess my question for you is that's a pretty good contract right there, too, right, Richard? Where is Correa? Where is Correa right now, and what is he primed to do this year? He is, uh, he's 22 years old. He checks all the boxes. He's a, he's a workaholic. He wants to be great. Now, um, he was taking ground balls last year in spring training, and Jeff Bagwell walked behind him and said to him, he was 21 at the time, and said, you know, this is the most important part of it. It's not building the academy in Puerto Rico. It's not being on commercials. This matters more than everything. And Correa stood up and came back to him and said, I know, I have to remember that. Thank you for telling me that. So I think there's a part of it. You know, his fame arrived early, and we we all – down here, we put him in the Hall of Fame immediately because he just did things right. that blew you away. And so I think there's a, you have to settle in. The guy's had a thousand plate appearances in the major leagues, and we've got to figure out what he's going to be. But um, there are not too many players I would trade him for at this point. I mean, he he amazes the people closest to him. I mean, just watching him every night with his skills. And the fact is, the guy wants to be great. He that- wants to be great. And you know what he wants to do? He wants to be great in every way. He wants people to know who he is. And he wants 
he wants to do the interviews and he wants to do the work before the game and everything. And I think at some point he's going to have to learn to pick and choose, you know. The um, the thing that stands out for me is, you know, people want to talk about the offense, the offense. I've seen him make a half dozen spectacular defensive plays against in, in games against the Rangers alone over the last two years. I think this guy is, is, is a, a, a splendid defender. Uh, at, at the position. Loses a little focus sometimes. A little bit of Elvis. I, I think every young player does yeah. to some extent. Right. It is really hard to lock in on every pitch, man. It, well, I think that's really one of the reasons why that uh, that Lindor, people felt like they like him better. A little more consistent uh, defensively. And uh, and, and that's, that was to me the one thing with Correa. When you make... This is why Carlos Beltran will be such a big uh, influence and maybe, on the Maybe so. And I think to me, though, that's when you're such a great player and such a great athlete and you make these spectacular plays, that's why you have to make all the routine plays. I mean, it's one thing if you just don't have the ability. I'd rather see a guy make all the routine plays and a, and a couple of spectacular plays than seem to make a bunch of great plays and then screw up on the, you know, the ground ball right at him. Richard, let me ask well, you a question. how they, ha- they handled him. Um, they did it. Uh, they were going to bat him low in the order, and they looked at him about a week. And AJ Hinch just said, uh, "You're hitting third today, okay?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Richard, is is this the best podcast that you are ever a part of? You you enjoy doing this podcast more than others? I do because I I love you guys. You know that. I mean, I I miss seeing Kevin around. The, we, with the days, the, the nights we used to spend in College Station. <laughs> hey, Kevin, what are you writing? Hey, Richard, what are you writing? Uh, that's back in the days when Richard was the leading columnist in well, Houston, the Houston Chronicle. If you want to see Kevin, wait, you better wait, hurry up and get up here. Where? At the Houston Chronicle. I believe Texas would be the correct answer. Wow. Wow. You were, you were a Texas Sports Writer of the Year. That's right. Uh, I think twice, right, Richard? Yeah. The, the I think German Kirk Bowles has passed us all up now. <laughs> no, I think that Kirk and I are tied at three apiece. <laughs> oh, I don't think so. I think Kirk is one like uh, I'll, go, I'll go with Kevin. I bet Kevin knows exactly how many how many everybody's <laughs> won. That's correct. So you you've only got three. Yeah. I uh, just I just need to vote for myself one uh, year and win another one. <laughs> I have several. I have several second places. I have several runner ups. I've got two. So I've yeah, got none. <laughs> I've got none. Of course, I'm not a member of this elite organization. Yes. <laughs> you don't have to be a member, you know. You don't? No. no. They, you just have to, what you do you have, have to, to have do friends. Friends. you had to be a member. To vote, yeah. you got to pay the 35 bucks, then you vote oh, for yourself. Oh, that's $50. Uh, I've, it, never done, yeah. I've never done that. I'll pay the 50 for you. You can vote. So I can vote for you. Yes. Yeah. Your boss, Tweed Sherrington. Yeah. Here. Richard, are you going <laughs> to, will you, will you be at the Super Bowl? Uh, I will not. What will MLB MLB.com won't have a rule for you at the Super Bowl? Uh, that has not been mentioned. I guess it's not out of the realm of possibility. In fact, uh, it's even hard to get to the ballpark that week because they use it for some events. It's kind of a hassle having the Super Bowl. I, I would think that MLB.com would like you to write columns about why baseball is so much greater than football. I can write those from home. Hey, I'll give some some uh, breaking news here. Did we know that Dan O'Brien had died? Dan O'Brien, senior. Senior. Yes. 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 87 years old. Former Rangers general manager, uh, 1970. When Billy Martin was the manager, I believe. Did you, did you guys know him? He was did one not. of the he was one of the most pr- proper and dignified people ever. And it was a time, you know, when the Rangers were not always proper and ownership was not always. Eddie Childs un- wasn't dignified? Well, I believe he started under Corbett. I could be wrong. But it was unpredictable at times. And he never, I never saw that man flustered in all the years he was there. He was like, 
That, yes, we're gonna we're gonna just keep working at that, and uh, we did. I did, the owner did what? Oh no! <laughs> yeah, and and you know we we had uh, Dan O'Brien Jr. His son was the longtime assistant general manager here under Doug Melvin. Uh, did have a stint as the Cincinnati Reds GM, and and we know Dan is is also one of the most proper, uh, polite, nice gentlemen with um, one of the most pronounced laughs in all of baseball. You you, you hear it, and you know Dan O'Brien is somewhere in the room, so uh, our thoughts definitely go out to Dan O'Brien um, and the O'Brien family. And I think that, uh, I, I think that we are just about going to wrap mo- this was up. That, was that a moment of silence we just had? It was. I, I'm not good at transitioning in from the, uh, from the serious back into this podcast, whatever this is. Well, I, I just want to say, of all the guests we have, Richard is in my top seven. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say sixteen or seventeen, but you know, yeah, I'll, I'll go with seven. Top seven. Yeah, yeah. we've only had I mean, five had guests. Five? Yeah. yeah, certainly one of my. But if we're, if we're talking people now, he's right up there. Oh, he's one, a, one, you know two. what he is? What he's, he's a man. He's a man. Yeah, Richard. Oh. <laughs> hey, Richard. I'll figure out another way to get these guys out of the studio, and you can co-host again. All right. I'll be back. I'll be back up there in three hours. I know you will. You don't know what the line at the Collins Street Bakery is. <laughs> I, I went past there yesterday, Richard. You went past the one on thirty-five, though, not the one on forty-five. Yeah, correct. That's correct. That's correct. All right. Yeah, I was in. I was. I was down on the forty acres over the weekend, Richard. Well, God bless you. <laughs> I can tell you're very moved by that. Yeah. Well, no, I am. I've got to make some recruiting calls. Oh, I mean. <laughs> All right, we are going to let you go. We have a lot of Cowboys teeth gnashing to get into. So um, you're a former Cowboy beat writer, Richard. I'm a cow- I, and I grew up. Um, it's the only team I ever really cared about growing up until the Rangers arrived in '72. Well, that was when you were what about forty? <clears throat> Cowboys, uh, the first season when uh, Eddie LeBaron, I believe, I was 38. <laughs> All right, Richard, thank you for joining us and spending oh, I don't know 45 minutes with us today. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. You too. Take care. Take care. There goes Richard Justice. Uh, I don't really have any other words to add. There's nothing else to say, is there? <laughs> no, I think we'll just we'll, we'll let Tom we'll let Doug. I, I will say one thing about this particular episode with Richard. There weren't a lot of anecdotes. Usually, Richard peppers you with anecdotes. Yeah, but we didn't give him any chance to mention Earl Weaver, Jim Palmer, yeah. Brooks Robinson. And they're always just non sequiturs, aren't they? Yes. Because yeah. he, he almost like Richard has Tourette's. Because he, 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 this stuff comes up with well, him. Well, Richard worked everywhere, too. But, but I oh, guess he focuses on his Baltimore years. Is, is that what you're well, alluding to? Well, he did a to? lot of baseball in Baltimore. Yeah, yeah, he did a lot of baseball there. Um, but he is one of the all-time greats. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's good to have him in the state so that we can bounce a lot of Astros type stuff. Yeah, and you know, I just want to point out, we're, in our Cowboy podcast, we have one of the all-time greats as well today. That is correct. Who is that? Because I won't be here for that. Who who will who will guide us? Who will lead us through this? You're you're going to have to do this. I don't know what we're going to do. Uh, what what will we do? That's Brad Sham who will be with us today. All by right. the way, well let's let's get to Brad right away. So long, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Rangers Ballsy Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans. See ya.